Hello and welcome to the Barcast. I am your host, Nick Barr. We're back after an oh-so-brief hiatus. I was in Thailand for a wedding. Um, I just got back this weekend, recording this on a Tuesday. So I'm still, uh, I would say I'm, I'm jet-lagged. Yeah, sure. Um, I also seem to have picked up some sort of stomach bug. Uh, I'm kind of imagining like this tapeworm or some sort of parasite um, in my gut right now, unique to Thailand, um, that, you know, will probably grow and grow uh, until, you know, after my seventh doctor visit, they finally decide to uh, do an x-ray. And by that time, the worm is too big for anything to be done. Um, so this might be the last bar cast. Um, but hopefully it's it's just a little bit of food poisoning and will subside. I've had it since I got on the plane, um, the first plane trip. Um, so I did Phuket back to Beijing, where I had a seven-hour layover, and then Beijing to San Francisco. And um, let's see, I, I've never, I've never landed um, while I'm in the air, airplane toilet before, so it's an interesting experience. Like, apparently, you know, you can do it if if you're sick enough. And so I was just, uh, in there for like probably the last hour of the first leg. And, uh, the flight attendants were sort of knocking like, Hey, are you okay? I was like, yeah, kind of. Um, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of that bathroom. And so, um, there's no windows, you know, so you don't really have a firm sense of when you're going to touch down. Um, so it was interesting. I, I don't, I don't recommend it. Um, then I, I familiarize myself with the Beijing bathrooms, um, Beijing terminal bathrooms. And then finally, um, felt like I was finally ready to eat some food on the last leg, um, from Beijing to San Francisco, but that turned out to be misguided. And I, um, again, familiarized myself, um, with the airplane bathroom, but by this time I was pretty expert at it. I had a new pair of pants that I was careful not to, um, mess, mess up. Um, I, I had asked for plenty of puke bags, which, um, were durable. Um, so by the end of it, I was, I was a real pro. Um, it was a great trip. Uh, it, it's a really far away place. Um, I was only there for like six or seven days. So it's one of those things where I got a fun time, but I think I'm good, um, on Asia for like maybe the next five years. I think the next time I'll go to Asia is in five years. And then when I go, I'll probably go for two months or so, maybe three months. While I was in Thailand, the king died. Um, and so this, this king, I should probably know his name, huh? We'll post it in the show notes, but let me look at it really now. And, you know, I shouldn't have even looked up his name because now that I look up his name, I'm going to try to pronounce it. And it's going to be really horrible. Um, let's say, uh, Pumapol Idunyadet. Um, he reigned, um, for something like 70 years, um, was really, really loved by the Thai people. It's hard to, um, compare him to anyone in popular American culture, popular world culture, maybe, um, something like the queen, um, of England, Queen Elizabeth, but, um, 
with much more sort of genuine fervor, um, some religiousness, right? So some kind of sense of that he's a deity or, or sort of half deity, but more importantly, just like what he did for that country over the last 70 years. Um, people really appreciated him. Um, anyway, I, I didn't even know there was a King of Thailand until he died. Um, and, uh, it was interesting. So they, they shut down sort of, so there's no music, there's no serving alcohol or at least no serving alcohol past a certain time. Um, but I was in the most touristy parts of Thailand. So they couldn't, you know, I mean, they couldn't shut down the industry completely. Um, but it was weird, you know, the, having the wedding the day after he had died, sort of, um, having what should be a celebratory moment in a country, um, where all the people are in mourning. Um, and so there's nothing going on really. And, um, that night or maybe the next day at the, at the hotel, I was listening to Dan Carlin who had come out with a new common sense, um, podcast episode. Um, and, uh, he brought up some themes that, were sort of relevant to the, the death of this king. And so that's sort of what I want to explore in my foggy, somewhat jet lagged, somewhat under the weather state, um, which is sort of like these, these long periods of time where, you know, it's all that you know, it's all that your parents know, it's maybe all that your grandparents know. Um, and so what does that do to you when, um, you know, when that changes? So, context of Thailand, that's, that's the reign of the king, um, for the first time in most people's lives, um, this person is not there anymore. Um, wasn't really unexpected. He'd been ill for a while, but still it's, it's, it's just completely new territory. Um, in the context of the Dan Carlin episode, which I, you know, if you're not familiar with Dan Carlin, check him out. He's, got two podcasts. One is called Hardcore History, which is the more well-known of his, um, and deals with sort of significant moments. Did I just, what does it significant, 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 significant moments in history. Uh, and then common sense is, is current events. Um, uh, and, and the, the most recent episode in, in common sense is like a really nice articulation of Dan's opinions about politics today, um, uh, and the, and the political, uh, race, the, the presidential race. Um, uh, and anyway, he, he brings up this guy, his name is Headley Donovan and Headley Donovan was a, uh, reporter, um, political reporter for many, many years and wrote a book, um, that basically profiled, I guess about nine presidents or seven presidents from Roosevelt to Reagan. And, uh, Donovan knew all of these presidents personally, um, and sort of sizes them up, uh, and comes to the conclusion that the quality of president is in the decline. Uh, and that really the last great president, uh, was FDR. And we haven't had a great president since FDR and that's in the Reagan era and uh, Donovan is dead now, but one can imagine that he would say that uh, Clinton, um, Bush's, Obama, 
Um, and whoever wins this presidency will also not be good presidents. Uh, and I don't, actually don't want to dive into that issue um, at all. And I don't, I don't even really have a strong opinion about it. But it's, it's interesting, which is like, if you take it as true that we haven't had a great president since FDR, it's another one of those things where it's like, we don't know what a good, we don't know what a good president looks like. Um, and that's Carlin's claim that basically that we grade all our presidents on a curve. And so we love an Obama who, if you said, you know, how well did Obama solve the issues he, he was supposed to solve, you might give him a 60%. And if you ask the same question of George W. Bush, you might give him a 50%, um, but they both failed. Uh, and, uh, we've, we've come to sort of grade people on a curve. And so now, you know, Obama might've been a quote unquote great president, um, but only great compared to the other people who tried to do his job, not great compared to, um, what his job requirements were. Uh, anyway, listen to the episode for, for more. I'm not going to do it justice or anything like that, but you know, it's, it's just that what made me think about it was sort of this interesting thing was like, oh, okay, so let's just, let's just assume it's true for a second. What does that mean for sort of ability to gauge anything or to have understanding about the world if um, I've never known a great president, if my parents have never known a great president? You know, sort of we've lost that memory despite living in the digital era and the sort of this belief or popular belief that everything is sort of encoded now, that knowledge isn't lost from generation to generation these moments maybe are lost. The feeling of having a great president, the knowledge of what a great president is. Uh, I, I totally buy into the possibility that I just don't know what a great president is. And so that naively I'll think to myself, Obama was a great president, but that actually might not be true. Um, it might actually be false. Um, and then of course, like the third moment that came to mind is just the Cubs are in the World Series for the first time since I think 1945. And should they win, that will be the first time they've won since, I guess, 1908 or so. So that's another interesting one of these sort of every once in a while, once in a generation moments. Um, of course, they vary in interestingness and severity. Um, what is it like for the Cubs to be in the World Series? We can sort of map roughly to, you know, well, what was it like for the Cleveland Cavaliers to win the NBA championship or... Um, the Red Sox won in 2007, 2008. So um, that's kind of the same thing, right? Those are easy to map. Plus, they're not that, they don't matter that much compared to um, not knowing what a good president looks like um, can potentially really impair your uh, judgment to be governed or your ability to be governed effectively to, to elect good leaders. Um, similar, you know, similar thing with with, uh, the Thailand situation. Um, and so this is, uh, again, a, a foggy and sort of a musy, um, episode. I don't have much of a further point, uh, except other than to sort of invite you to, um, think about what that means and, and tell me if it means anything to you. Um, I, as I was thinking about this, I wondered, you know, maybe this is just as simple as that guy, uh, I was one called Talib Kweli, but it's, it's Nassim Taleb, um, the writer of the black swan and other books. Uh, and the black swan is, if you're not familiar with it, it's just sort of this event. It's a rare event that is hard to predict, or maybe even impossible to predict. Um, the probability of it is so low that, uh, 
scientific methods or, or algorithms are unlikely to sort of properly uncover it and account for it. And so, you know, then the responsibility falls on you to figure out, like, how do I defend myself as, against such events? And most famously, he uh, positioned the, the financial crisis as a black swan event. And I believe financially took advantage of that. I think that was sort of how he made his name was by uh, anticipating and outmaneuvering the financial crisis. Uh, but 9-11 is a black swan event, uh, et cetera. Now, the king of Thailand dying is not a black swan event, nor is really FDR. Cubs in the World Series, I guess, might be an F, uh, a black swan event, but there's something there's something there. Um, and it, it finally maps to sort of a paranoia or a suspicion that I have and that Dan Carlin talks about in his podcast. Uh, it's sort of an uneasiness that I don't have a great vocabulary for talking about Black Swan is probably the best, although I don't, I don't know enough about the book to, to use it. And I also don't really have any interest in the book, but, uh, you'll have someone like maybe Steven Pinker is the most prominent example sort of saying, look, the world is getting better. And, uh, the world really is getting better. If you, for instance, chart out, uh, violence or violent deaths over time, it's really just down into the right in a really encouraging way. And so sometimes it's hard to believe because we have so much terror and tragedy and we're so aware of it and it's pushed in our face and uh, the world is more connected than ever that it's easy to feel like things are getting worse, but objectively, mathematically, things are getting better. I believe that. But I also believe that things are getting better until they get worse. And I also feel that there's... uh, I guess to put it sort of bleakly, I, I do feel that like uh, crisis is around the corner. Uh, now I could be wrong about that. I would certainly like to be wrong about it, but um, I'm not disagreeing with Pinker, but his model feels incomplete to me. Um, that, that, you know, post that black swan event of, I don't know, you know, a bioweapon wiping out, a few million people, um, it'll, it'll look pretty stupid. Uh, I don't really have like much to say about it. I don't, I don't know what you can do about it. Um, it's sort of this, this potential vulnerability. Uh, I guess all you can do is sort of try to imagine what these vulnerabilities might be and anticipate them in, in the sort of Taleb language that's, uh, becoming anti-fragile. Um, I guess the the Elon Musks of the world will say the way to be anti-fragile is to go to other planets so that if anything happens to this one, we've got a few people on Mars at least to continue the species. I I dig that. Although again, like I I intellectually understand it, but I can't find myself getting excited about settling Mars. I don't know. I, I just don't have the personality type to be like, into rockets. I don't know. Like, I don't, I can't, it's, there's something so boring about it. Um, has this been rambly enough? I don't, I don't know if I have anything else to say on the subject. I just wanted to get back on the wagon, uh, and not leave anyone hanging. 
lest you thought something had happened to the bar cast. Um, what else is there to say? Should we end something on a positive note? So far I've talked about uh, gastrointestinal issues. Mm, everything is terrible. Something bad will happen to us soon. You know, I... I guess I'll just, I'll end on one more thought, but it's, it's not encouraging. I, what's the best way to say this? And I want to say it in a way that doesn't alienate you, my listener. There's, there's a Twitter account and I'll just encourage you to follow this person on Twitter because this person is probably, if I could only follow one Twitter user, it would be this person. Um, and it's, his name is Zodiac motherfucker. Um, and Zodiac, uh, for me, embodies an outlook uh, toward the crisis uh, that may or may not come. Um, sort of he, I'm, looking, I'm trying to find his account right now. Uh, I guess he's, he's, he's welcoming uh, the the war, the terror, the, the conflict. And I think he's like the only person in the world who I've seen who like, I just like, I don't know. I, I dig, I dig his approach. I don't, I don't share it, but, um, that's, that's the kind of pure nihilism that going, going back to a, an earlier episode about nihilism. That's, that's like the real nihilism that I, uh, that I admire. That's the, the heavy metal nihilism that for me is sort of the most anti-fragile mental approach to, um, the unknown unknowns that lie ahead of us. Uh, I'll share his Twitter account in the show notes, uh, until next time, uh, have a, uh, have a pleasant week, get some sleep, um, eat some, eat some solid foods. See you.